first episode of True Talk, the place where conversation becomes communication. I am so excited about our first official guest for our podcast, and that is not only one of my best friends and favorite people, but he is also a legislative policy analyst for the New York City Council, and all around good conversation to have. And this is Charles. Hi, everybody. Hey, Charles, how you feeling? I'm feeling good. How are you feeling? Good. I was like, if I'm about to be doing a podcast, telling people how we can be doing stuff with communication and words, I'm like, I need to bring in the big guns for the first podcast. Like the person that I spend a lot of time talking about everything with and also is a nerd like me and loves reading and researching. So I'm like, yep, this is who we need to have on here. In the first episode, I talked about how I'm really excited to not only bring key people from their fields and industries and different countries, but to bring people that are actively doing something about something that they're passionate about, either through their work, either through their research, even even through their commitment, you know, they're a part of, you know, the conversations, but they're also having the communications on, all right, what are we going to do to do something about it? And that is really how I have found myself in this pursuit of, all right, yes, like, I love talking about it to learn and to like, show empathy and show you that I'm here with you. But let's do something about it. You know, communication, as I was trying to say earlier, that gave me the tool to like, do self study, you know, it's a process within communication, someone has to intentionally say something, someone has to intentionally want to listen and receive what they're trying to say, and try to understand that those intentions behind those words. That's Mm -hmm. hard. That's difficult. You know, that is layers. Layers. Yeah. That is really, really tiring. It'd be so convenient to all the time be like, hey, Charles, like, yeah, I heard like the climate change is getting like really bad, you know? And I'm not saying like being a problem solver is all right, here is how I have fixed the climate agreement and the G7 bill of the, you know, the United Nations Treaty. Maybe it's, wow. I didn't know that that was a thing. Can we have a conversation? And can you give me some recommendations on what I can do to educate myself better? You know, Mm -hmm. that that contributes to solving the problem as you handling yourself, you know, figure out. Oh yeah, no, sorry, continue. Oh, okay, okay. I was gonna say what you're touching on, right? Like in in that how um, being able to converse with each other as a means to more deeply engage with an issue right? Like that touches upon like the realm of advocacy, right? And it's like, when you think about who would you rather have as your advocate, who would you rather have as advocating for an issue? Would you rather have a group of individuals that don't really know what they're talking about or aren't really dedicated to the cause and are just there because it's like the fashionable thing to do or would you rather have like a group of dedicated individuals who know the issue almost inside out 
and are very passionate about it and are willing to go the extra mile to ensure that like what they're talking about is being heard and being understood by uh, the the people in power in like like local representatives or other elected officials, right? And like the reason why I mention all of that is because uh, like in my work, and I guess I'll take this as like a segue to just briefly introduce my work background, which by the way, legal disclaimer, uh, all opinions represented in this <laughs> podcast are solely my own um but my friends are cool my... <laughs> so in what my... do you do yeah 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 so i i work as a legislative policy analyst for the new york city council and um in my work i also end up coming across just uh by proxy i just end up seeing groups of advocates showing up to hearings or uh asking for meetings with local elected officials uh in new york city and what I've learned watching them um, in just over two years on the job is how long and arduous of a process advocacy is. Like there's a whole reason why organizations are founded in order to keep up advocacy work because it's not something that any one individual person can do for like an extended period of time, unless you're someone who like dedicates their entire being and soul to uh, that particular cause, right? But that's besides the point because the main point is that advocacy requires organization. Mm -hmm. And you look at recent, uh, just recent current events, right? Like just the issue of voting rights, right? Like how else are you going to tackle such a systemic issue like voting rights that goes into all kinds of history in the geopolitical regions of the South, the North, the Northeast, the Midwest, all those, all those areas? How in the world are you going to tackle all those kinds of systemic issues by yourself? It's frankly impossible. And the reason why people band together is because what's impossible for one person is now possible for a collective of individuals. And it's to the point where to circle back to that whole notion of conversing with each other to be more deeply engaged on an issue, right? That's part of the effective means of organization building, right? Like by conversing with other people, by conversing with people to talk about like the things that you're passionate about, the, the issues that you want to advocate for. It's like, how do you feel about this? Oh, uh, would you join me in organizing an event or participating in an event where we can show up and uh, spread this to a wider general audience? You know, that is why I think communication is such a vehicle for, I think the goal and the aim of what we're trying to bring to the forefront for people. Like mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier, communication is a process. And so it's, think of it kind of linearly for a second. Like there's going to be steps along the way for you to get to the hopefully an outcome or a goal, you know, I see advocacy as the next step for communication. And that's where I have really found myself because in trying to be an advocate, it's called me and forced me to lead because I'm like, I can't wait or rely on someone else to do something. I have the capacity and the abilities to do now. And I actually like doing it. So that's what made advocacy feel more like a calling for me. And a big thing that you and I have talked about recently is, you know, I've gotten away from saying, oh, I'm a communication this and communication's my life. I mean, oh, I guess my boom wanted to die. Um, but communication has been 
you know, the tool for me and the mechanism for me to really bring what I feel like my gifts and purpose are to the forefront to do something about it. I feel why communication is the center step for this podcast is because communication requires you to be present for at least a moment. What I'm hoping is that through each of our episode and through the many series that we'll have that you'll be able to use it to gain some sort of awareness over a different topic, just so you can try something different. You know, trying something different can be the difference between you being a game changer, you being a problem solver. So we want to welcome and create that space for this awareness to come about. It's actually so fortuitous that you mentioned uh, increasing awareness from conversation, because something I want to actually touch on later is the utility of conversation as a way of, in your the words, utility pre- of converse. Come on, child. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm just. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, geez. Utility of conversation. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. So, up, child. No. The so yeah. So the utility of conversation in in your words, increasing awareness, right? And what that touches upon, how important that is in terms of. Uh, fighting against the disinformation that's present, right? In our, in our information ecosystem, right? Like, because truth be told, and you hear this said all the time, you don't know what you don't know, right? And so in order to like increase your knowledge of different communities, different people, different motivations, different agendas, that requires dialogue. Like that requires talking to other kinds of individuals outside of your circle, outside of uh, your own, like, say, echo chamber, right? (laughs) Um, Because you're not going to come across, again, going back to that notion of, like, not knowing what you don't know, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how are you supposed to suddenly generate a a completely unique thought based off of no pre-existing information? Like, that's literally not possible <laughs> so you, like oh ahead, yeah bro. sorry no oh ahead. no yeah. the, the last the last thought being like so like in order to better connect and obtain those strands of outside information right like in order to better uh expose yourself to unique bits of information and news and that kind of thing that requires an increased awareness as you mentioned that requires going out of your comfort zone that requires an increased con- amount of conversation. What you made me think about is what I've been observing for a long time. And I feel like I have a good way of articulating it now. You know, we have gotten so used recently because of some of the things that you just like mentioned, you're wrong. I'm mm-hmm. right. You're wrong. Like saying someone's wrong. That's a pretty big claim. You know what I'm saying? Like saying you're wrong. That's like a definitive, like I've done my homework. I am judge, jury and executioner. You know what I'm saying? But that's not a good way to get things done or moving because of all the reasons that you said, like you're being influenced from all of these different areas and you really don't know what to trust. And people don't do the work to just double check, ask your friend about the information that you're consuming. How often are you actually engaging with something that you don't necessarily agree with? And I feel like instead of just saying things are right or wrong, we lost the ability to just disagree 
You know what I'm saying? Like disagreeing allows us to just like say, you know what? Like, even though I think you are completely off the mark, you are still a person. You know, you have the right to your own opinion. And like, thank you, in my case, thank you for being willing to share. You know, even if we don't have to agree or disagree, like, that's okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, I thank you for sharing an opinion that's so different from mine because it either affirms why I kind of have the thinking system that I do, or it encourages me to look for areas of improvement. And I feel because we don't just say, hey, I disagree because I've had these experiences. I've done these research ground to stand on. We've completely lost that. You know, like people feel like they don't, they, they got the ground to stand on, but it's like a ground, you are standing on a metaphorical ground that can be um, cryptocurrency away in a moment. Like, what does that mean? And because we don't look for substantial reasons why, you know, every trend you're seeing on Twitter and on social media feels like peop- sways people's values and principles on like an individual level. And it's like, whoa, like, you should be able to confront information, but it shouldn't, you know, stall you, you know, you shouldn't just get stuck with like what's been presented to you. And because of that, I feel that that is how we got stuck at the conversation start of the process towards our longer goal of achieving some sort of change and understanding about each other. Oh my goodness. I'm actually so glad you mentioned that because uh, that notion of not being able to simply disagree with someone, right? This whole, uh, like just putting aside the injection of moral superiority into our discourse, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like people seek to like cancel yes. each other or just call out someone as wrong as a way to dismiss them and f- make themselves feel morally superior in terms of like, I'm right, you're wrong. That's the end of the story, right? right. Putting that all aside, right? We also have to address this notion of privilege that comes with the ability to disagree, right? Like disagreement requires a common adherence to truth, right? Like a productive discourse can only exist when there is a common adherence to truth. And that's something that's also been lost due to a, a whole nefarious series of actors, right? Like you have profit motives, political agendas, like foreign uh, foreign state actors, right? Uh, like a specific example that comes to mind is uh, this, this notion of like a common adherence to truth got upended when figures like Kellyanne Conway coined like alternative facts, right? Like this right. is, this is like introducing uh, new rhetoric. Right, right, right. And this is representative of a trend that existed uh, in the undercurrents of society that like became mainstream when Trump got elected, right? Where uh, when Kellyanne Conway coined this alternative facts moniker, right? It's like, this stunt was representative of a trend where like refusing to admit when you're wrong became profitable, right? Because now Mm. like going back to this whole notion of the money, (laughs) because when you, when you admit that you're wrong, right? Like what, what do you end up being? You have to then do the work to uh, show that like, you know, what you uh, mistook, like what you, what you were wrong on. Right. Uh, and for, for people like, for people like in Trump's administration, for people like Kellyanne Conway, it was far more profitable to just stick to this notion of, oh, these are alternative facts. Like what I'm saying isn't false. 
It's just a different version of your reality. And in doing that, they maintained hold on like political power, right? And I feel, thank you for saying that because you introduced a very, very important part of the interpersonal aspect of communication, which is you want both sides to be coming to the table as good faith actors. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, we want to rely on you as the narrator to just give us the information. You're the authority right now. You have the stage, you have the microphone. So, you know, we should be able to trust these individuals, especially if they are elected leaders. And I feel like that's how those terms were able to go so rampant is because they weren't being good faith actors when it came to communicating with the public and teaching them how to inform themselves and how to actually participate in some maybe productive conversation that could lead to communication and all these other things, but it got stalled at the conversation. There's no longer a ability to come to the table in good faith because now people are so wrapped up in their own identity of like, oh, me being like countercultural is who I am, or like me being like alternative fact is who mm. I am. Oh, hold on, hold on. We just had an Oprah O moment. Like <laughs> you just said it. Like, do you mind repeating your last statement? As in, people are like wrapped up. This is like who they are. Like this is exactly. Exactly. Like we've conflated opinions with identity. You know, which shows us like how much we truly don't understand you know, the concept of self and identity and like what that means to be in a world around us full of other people with selves and identities as well. Like if we had a lot more awareness about other people kind of going through the same experiences that we're kind of going through internally, someone can relate to something that you've been through. And I feel like we forget that, you know? And so we're really quick to try to like cast judgment or to like give a definitive thing, like, you know, bring what you got to say to the table and then just be willing to walk away from it. So much of like um, advocacy work or like general awareness work that you see on social media is like, what are the actionable steps that you can take? Right. Right. And for like the default is to have a conversation, to raise awareness. Right. And people have taken that and ran away with it without fully understanding what raising awareness actually is what Mm -hmm. having a conversation actually is Mm -hmm. right it's having a conversation with someone is not simply declaring what you read as fact and expecting the other person to automatically agree with what you then say Right. Right. Having a conversation with someone and raising awareness around the issue requires forethought, requires intellectual capability, like requires all these things that are uh, deficient in our American population because of like and that goes into like years of disinvestment in public education and all that. But like the larger the larger point being going to your point of slacktivism. Right. It's like, oh, it's so easy. Just have a conversation with your friend who may not know about this issue, right? And there's no real game plan as to how you actually bring up that issue, as to what you do in the event your friend disagrees with you in some way. Right. And 
it just it just ends up becoming a, a non-productive discourse that ends up mm. muddying the waters around the clarity of an issue. I love the fact that you just brought up this notion of non-productive discourse. You know, like, what's the point? You know, I know that's kind of like blunt, but for me, what is the point? Like, are you just saying it because you heard it? Are you saying this because you care? Like, what's the point? You know, why are you having me here listening? I'm a captive audience right now. So like, all right, you have my attention. Now what? You know, that's my kind of biggest thing with advocates or people that like just have one form of trying to get involved is like, you know, what are the intentions and like, what are you trying to get out of it? You know, like, what's the goal? And so having non-productive conversations um, is really interesting because I feel like people don't know when they are having one. And that's also part of the problem too, mainly because, and Charles, you're so great. It brings us into the state of dialogue. You know, we're going to talk about this from more of like a U.S. perspective, but you know, why dialogue is kind of like this missing piece of the puzzle or something that we can really like anchor you know that transition between conversation and communication dialogue is an essential step for us to get there you know like it requires us to be able to have productive discourse you know it requires us to try to come to the table in good faith it requires us to be able to put both of our sides on the table and be a little bit vulnerable for the sake of finding some sort of new shared meaning. And that is why dialogue is so important, is achieving this new shared meaning or understanding about whatever the topic, you know, is. And hopefully today, like we can give you all some awareness of how to look for dialogue and like, where is dialogue around you? How are you engaging with it now? And then how we're going to be able to use that to always guide our conversations to something that can actually have a tangible or an, an impact. Uh, beautiful segue. So if we were to talk about like, if we were to define dialogue as like the general status of like conversation among our peers, right. And focusing on like a discourse surrounding like current events and things that are happening in our society, right. Like whether it's in entertainment, in politics, in, uh, in the world generally, right. And just from the top, right. The state of dialogue in the U S is one of pretty big polarization, right? Like there's a lot of disagreement, there's a lot of negativity. And this is something that's been just tracked uh, by things like polls and social scientists where, uh, for instance, Pew Research in 2019 found that 85% of Americans find our political discourse to be more negative than before, right? And that's just one example. And when we look at kind of the the common themes that are like undergirding our discourse in general we can see how this is actually true because let's start from the influence of profit motive right and to better understand this influence of profit motive we also need to uh think about where does our dialogue come from right like where do we find the things to talk about how do we even engage in our conversations with each other are people talking on the phone, like in person on the street, like on a day-to-day basis? No, like you're DMing on Instagram, you're chatting over uh, iMessage, right? Like you're using these specific social media services in order to engage 
in dialogue with your with your peers like that's the new stage of our digital age like that's the new uh status of discourse that we that we have now right like it's no longer just texts and calls it's going through the avenues of these very real social media companies that themselves have their own profit motives and uh are beholden to their own shareholders and this isn't to say like there's some grand conspiracy where like you sending an Instagram DM is somehow like a, a way to uh, increase the profit motive of Instagram. It's, it's simply to be aware of the fact that in order to DM your friend on Instagram, you go on the platform Instagram. And when you open up the app, you go and are faced with a newsfeed, a newsfeed and your stories. Right. And, I can, I like just speaking from personal experience, I can't count the number of times that I've been personally distracted away from like my original task in terms of like, oh, I want to go on Instagram and message this friend of mine for, uh, to follow up about like, oh, like what are we getting for dinner later, right? And then I open up Instagram and then I see that someone recently posted on their close friends and I'm like, ooh, what's the tea, you know? And yes. in- and that just starts like a, a, a story spiral where I'm like tapping through stories. But in between those stories, there are advertisements interpolated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, well, I feel like a big thing that we need to kind of embrace or talk about is our way of understanding each other, the, the, the social code that like, hardwires how we engage with each other has been hacked we've talked a lot about why dialogue is important you know we've talked about why we need to be focusing on this but what's what's in it for other people you know why is participating in dialogue something that people need to incorporate into their life or should be more conscious of and how they go about it like in your opinion that is a great prompt and basically long story short it's because it's a requirement of the society we live in now right like it's a necessary requirement if we're just looking at like monthly active users of social media right it's like facebook has 2.9 billion youtube has 2.56 billion tiktok has 1 billion instagram has 1.5 billion and this is all like data from, again, being a good uh, person and citing my sources. This is according to Data Reportal, which is a data consolidation organization, right? Um, but generally speaking, you can just understand that social media is an inescapable part of our lives, right? Mm-hmm. And so the this notion of what's in it for other people is really one of how can we adapt to our new reality? because that's what it is. (laughs) Like we need to, we need to adapt. And what we're seeing right now is actually a symptom of us not being able to adapt. And it's so clear as to why you have people in our current government leadership that are, that, that grew up decades before even the most basic form of the internet was even invented, you know, like before it was even popularized, right? Like, uh, the the digital age that was really spawned by like the dot-com boom in the 2000s and the all the innovation that came afterwards, we fail to really 
understand and appreciate how quickly the technological advancement is within our media in, uh, ecosystem, within our information ecosystem, right? Within the span of basically like a few, not even, not even two decades, we went from a primary source of our information coming from like print and TV media to it being dominated by digital devices. Uh, the, and, and this is so like interesting. But oh yeah. For me, like this is what circles back to your point earlier about being aware of the profit incentives that these companies have. Like not only did these technological companies like, you know, create this whole new outlet and channel for communication and engagement. We've also seen these privatized organization and special interests start to acquire, you know, our means of information and communicating news outlets. You know, we know that most of like the big ones on TV and online, they're owned by like the same few companies. You know, people don't understand that. It's like, it's all a part of like, the same system that it's often critiquing, but that's also the role of the news. It's meant to be this outside force that is critiquing the world around us while informing us. But when the people who have the incentive to control those things have the ability to, along with all these technological advancements, that is what allowed this invention that we could have used for our development has really come back to force us into some sort of regression. You know, we're socially regressing, which means that we're taking a step back when it comes to our evolution. <clears throat> you that's, know, Robert. Uh, ooh, yeah, sorry. No, it Robert. was okay. No, I was just going to say <laughs> there is um, a Harvard um, professor, very influential. His name is Robert yeah. Keegan. He has a theory of like orders of consciousness. You know, there's different steps that, you know, an individual goes through to acquire um, an understanding of themselves and the world around them. And the fifth one is like, hey, you're connected with the universe and you understand that, you know, you have relation to everything and you found meaning in your life. That's typically something you see later in life. It is something you can achieve earlier, but most times people don't make those connections too much later. You know, for me, when I was learning about his theory, it was a lot of people from my own observations are really stuck at this um, like second and third level, which was all about self-awareness and then understanding what the self meant in the environment that it was in or how it related to the environment. We've lost that ability to do that. And I feel like it, that model gives us a very like clear way of trying to identify where social media and the hacking of our like interaction code has been given away. We can't just rely on other people to do it for us anymore. You have to not only take part of the conversation, but get involved, you know, do something. And I feel like communication is the outlet and the vehicle for people to figure it out. Even if you don't know what the next step is, communication will give you step one. Hello. Hey, I'm willing to learn. Hey, I'm willing to engage. And once you've at least started that process, dialogue can begin. Learning can begin. Understanding can begin healing can begin, and then let's get to work. There is plenty of us that care to actually do something about it. We just need to kind of go back to these tools that are intrinsic to us to organize and to get us in the direction that we need to go because we can solve a lot of the issues that are happening right now, but we need to be able to figure out 
how to communicate with each other again, which is going to take some trust. And this is going to take something that I feel like is one of the most important things about dialogue and communication. We need to learn how to listen again. We're so quick to hear someone's opinion or get information and have a rebuttal in like 10 seconds. Oh, wait, let me just hop in. How often do you take a second to just fully receive what someone is saying to you and not reply right away? You know, sometimes people are like, are you listening? Are you paying attention? And it's like, yes, I'm processing, you know, like I'm really, really focused on what you have to say. You know, being present is just so important and it's crucial to this whole process. And being present allows you to really be vulnerable and to listen and to receive what the other person is trying to give you. You know, even if you don't like it or if you don't agree with it, at least the person was offering something to you. And that offering is the sign of good faith. You know what I'm saying? And then we can take the next step and we can start this journey and this process together. But we have to go back to being willing to listen, you know, instead of having an opinion, just sit there and just like let it absorb it, you know, instead of just like, oh, yes, I know what you said. Like, can't do you really know what that person was talking about? Instead of just being able to repeat what they just said, what do you think they meant? What are their intentions? And that's something that you can kind of have a conversation with your own self, you know, like I have not like crazy, but sometimes I'm like self, you know, have another look at the situation. All right. That is our first episode of True Talk, but the conversation's not going to stop here. Join us next week for part two of the State of Dialogue with Charles joining us once again. If you have any thoughts about some things that we talked about today, let us know. Reach out to us on social media and we would love to try to answer it either in next week's episode or in one of our upcoming episodes. We hope that you took something away from here and we will see you next week.